listening to another hope-filled message from Life. For more information about our church, visit lifeau.org. So we're going to jump uh, straight into the Word tonight. I'm going to be preaching out of Luke chapter 15. And uh, if you want to give my message a title tonight, you can, I've basically titled it this, is Lost and Found. Quite simple. I'm a simple guy from the northern suburbs, so you're not going to get too much complication out of me tonight. But uh, I really pray it's going to be great. So we'll just kick it off from verse 11. And you may have heard this story before. Jesus right now is he's teaching a bunch of people and um, has this little subheading in my Bible and says the prodigal son. And a lot of people may have heard this story, but I'm, I'm going to give it a bit of a different uh, twist tonight and uh, just believe God's going to be on it. But in verse 11, Jesus says this. He goes, a man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them, and not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to become impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. So this guy's like living it up in his father's palace, wealthy, says, Dad, give me a share. Goes and lives, lives it up, lives the high life, and now he's working for someone else. Doesn't get worse than that, does it? And, he would have, and then he turns around and says, he sent him into the fields to feed swine, to feed pigs. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, that the pigs were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, come on, how many people are thankful that we can come to our senses? But when he came to his senses, he said to himself, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am out here dying with hunger? I will get up. I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran to him and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat together and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. How amazing is that story? The father is there with open arms. The moment the son was coming back, the father was waiting, ready to embrace the son. But as the story goes on, and there was two sons in this story. The other son, the, the older son was in the field. And when he came and approached, he heard the music and the dancing. Imagine hearing dancing. Like how hard were these guys going to hear the dancing? Like... You're coming back to the house and I don't know what they're doing, but they're all stomping. I don't know if you heard of Two Floors Up, but it sounds like some of that was going on. And uh, he said to him, your brother has, he, he asked one of the servants, what, what the heck is going on here? 
And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he said to his father, look, for so many years I've been serving you and I've never been... For so many years I have been serving you and I've never neglected a command of yours that you have given, never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has devoured your wealth and with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. We had to celebrate and rejoice because your brother, he was dead, but now he's begun to live. He was lost and he has been found. So I'm going to pray for a minute and then we're going to jump straight into it. But God, we thank you for tonight. I thank you, Father, that your heart is towards us. I thank you, God, that your love is here to meet us exactly where we're at. God, I pray right now, God, that you would anoint my words, that Holy Spirit, you would have your way in this service, God. I pray for every heart in this place, God, that healing would right now meet us, that hope, God, would arise. God, we pray for life where death has ruled, God. And we pray that tonight you would have your way in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I've got a question for you tonight. Have you ever found yourself, I don't know, doing life, walking about, and you just realised you've lost something? I don't know about you, but it happens to me all the time. And my wife says, always just yells out when I'm saying, babe, have you found my wallet? Do you know where it is? She goes, you'd lose your head if it wasn't screwed on. <laughs> and I think that that's quite true. I probably would lose my head. But I find that a lot of us in life, like we're always losing something. Um, when, when we go to the shopping centre, my wife, like she'll park the car, we'll go shopping, we'll come back, she can't remember where she's parked it. I don't know how that one's possible, but it, it is quite possible. Um, when I was in America, I was travelling with some mates and uh, we, we went to Miami, to New York and to a few other places and we went to New York and we had a great time. We were there for five, five nights, it was just unreal. We're leaving to go to another place. We get to the airport, we go to check in, and my best mate, Az, has left his passport in the hotel room. Again, don't know how that one's possible, but <laughs> it is. Um, but I find that in life, like, if we lose something, we just go absolutely crazy trying to find it. Can anyone agree here tonight? Like, you're just like, oh my goodness. Like, with my keys at the moment, I've lost them. Um, my house keys, my work keys, the office keys, I don't know where they are. I can't find them. It's driving me crazy for the past five days. Um, pray for me. I know there's a bit of confession right here. Uh, hopefully no one breaks into to our factory and steals everything. But, but right now, that's where we're at. And um, anyway, I'm getting lost in that story. <laughs> my point tonight is that we're, we get crazy when we lose something and we get obsessed with finding it. Jesus Christ is the same. His prerogative is to recover what he has lost with humanity. Jesus said this in Luke 19 verse 10. He says that the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. And uh, I love this word save. For a lot of us, we're like, oh, save? I don't need saving. Like, I'm good. Like, life is good. But I love this word because it's not, it's not like, like the word save is this Greek word. It means sozo. Um, and it basically means to deliver, to set free, to heal, to bring hope. It's basically this all-encompassing word that wherever you're at right now, 
God wants to meet you exactly where you're at. You might be going through a time of depression. So, so, God wants to meet you right where you're at and bring healing and bring hope. Anything that you go through, I love that God's word is there meeting us and Jesus has his prerogative to come and seek and save that which is lost. He's obsessed with us who are lost. It is his mandate and mission. And so Jesus is here in, in, in the context of Israel 2,000 years ago and he's telling this story and I, I like to look at it. He's telling a story about a father and two sons. A lot of us see the prodigal son, but I, I love this story because it's more about the father than, and, and all about these two sons. Not just one son, but two sons. Because these two sons are both lost. Sometimes we think that it's just the one son who went off, but it was also the other son who was just as lost. And the reason for this is because God's not looking for us, as we said before so beautifully um, in the testimonies and, and in the worship. God's not looking for us to tick boxes. Got to grab a bit of water here. We're going to be dry. Um, God's not looking for us to tick boxes. God's not looking for us to jump through hoops. But this is what the other son thought. The other son's like, yo, I'm, I'm in the house. I'm hanging out, like I've got, I've got my inheritance, but I'm not doing nothing wrong. And he looked at his life compared to his brother's life and thought, I was all good. But how many of us know that just because you, you stand in a garage, it doesn't make you a car? Just because you go to a gym, it doesn't make you shredded. <laughs> and it's the same reality with, with God. Just because, you know, you go to his house, it doesn't necessarily make you a Christian. God's looking for a heart-to-heart connection. He's looking for us to come home, but not in a sense of to come home and and start ticking boxes and just start attending church, but God's looking for us to connect with him heart-to-heart right where we're at. And so Jesus is here. He's rocking up, and and you've got to understand. I want to give us a bit of the context here. He's been on, he's in his late 20s. Uh, he's been on, on the earth now for probably 28, 29 years, and he's walking around and he's healing people. He's seeing people saved. He's delivering people of, their, of the darkness that's on their life, and he's really just bringing life everywhere he goes, hope everywhere he goes. He's leveling the playing field everywhere he goes. He's hanging out with those who are in high places and in high places of office politically, and then he's also just hanging out with prostitutes and tax collectors, which are the worst of his days and Jesus is just hanging out and meeting people and people don't know how to take him because he's, he's like this, he's from Nazareth. I don't know if you've ever heard what Nazareth is like but it's almost like being from Broad Meadows if you know Broad Meadows which I say a lot because it just makes me connect and so you've got this guy from Nazareth because there's a dude in the Bible that goes what good can come out of Nazareth? So I'm like alright, sounds like Brody. So Jesus is walking around and he's got these 12 guys hanging out with him. Now, I don't know if, if, you, if you saw some guy from Broad Meadows walking around with 12 guys, I'd be like, all right, where are we going? Let's get out of here. But he's, this, is, this is how he's walking around. He's got his posse, he's got his crew, and a, and a lot of people see Jesus as simply human. They see him as simply this guy from Nazareth. But what they start to encounter is a guy that's telling them that, hey, God's not interested in all the good works you can do to the one son and to the other son. Hey, it doesn't matter where you've been and what you've done and how bad you've stuffed up and how you've taken the inheritance and squandered it. I want to meet you exactly where you're at. You're both welcome 
in my house. Right before this story, Jesus also talks about a lost sheep. So he's talking to this crowd, and in this crowd, you've got the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which are a religious group. They're the guys ticking the boxes, and you've got the tax collectors, and you've got the sinners, the Bible calls them, and the prostitutes, and everyone's hanging out in this one crowd. So he talks to them, and he goes, hey, I want to talk to you about a lost sheep. If you had 99, wouldn't you go and find the one? Wouldn't you just leave everything? And I'm like, all right, I can relate. It's almost like losing my keys. Like... You just go and do everything you can to find your keys. He, he then goes on and talks about a lost coin. And he's saying the same thing. Hey, if you're in your house and, and you're hanging out and you have 10 coins and you lose one, wouldn't you turn the house upside down to find that one coin? And then you'd start celebrating after. So everyone's sitting there going, oh, yeah, this makes sense. All right, yeah, we would go and find what is lost. And this is when he gets to the father and the two sons. And so he talks about the two sons because he's trying to make a connection saying, hey, it's not about trying to please God. It's not about trying to tick boxes. It's not about trying to measure up because none of us can measure up. And hey, it's not about where you've been and it's not about what you've done. It's all about just coming home to the Father. Because all along the Father wasn't sitting there trying to pass judgment. The Father wasn't standing at the gate waiting for the Son to come home to beat him or to bring condemnation, but he was just waiting for his son to come home so he could embrace him with love. So I want to put this in context as well. Like you've, you've got this, the, the son who goes and spends everything and it's almost like in today's age, like you're part of a good home, you're part of a good family, you're sitting at home and you're like, oh, life's good, but then MTV comes on, MTV Cribs come on and you're like, I need one of them. So you're like, hey, father... Throw me my inheritance, I'm going to go spend it. And then you see Wiz Khalifa come on and he starts talking about how to be young, wild and free. And all of a sudden, you know, the tunes are going and, and, he got, and you're getting sold a lie that to be free, you have to go out and live wild. That to be free, you have to go out and lose yourself. See, sin can be summed up like this, as summed up as instant gratification. And God's not into us not having gratification or God's not into us feeling good or doing things that feel good but rather delayed gratification because true fulfillment comes through a process and I look around in in today's age and I look at my generation and I even look at what I got caught up in myself and we're just hooked on this unhealthy lifestyle we're going out and we're losing ourselves in, in party scenes and, and getting drunk and taking drugs. And, and we're, we're hooked because we're hooked on this lie that happiness can come through instant gratification. It's like sex outside of marriage. It's instant gratification. And we think that God's trying to restrict us, but actually God's trying to say, hey, true fulfillment in your sexual life will come within marriage, not outside of it. So God's not, in, God's not trying to be the party pooper. I mean, if you can take one theological concept from these three stories, when they found the sheep, when they found the coin, and when they found the sun, God threw the biggest party out, and you could hear the dancing, and you could hear the music from miles away. So I think God's into it. He's into having fun. But he's also speaking to the crew who's, who's sitting there going, hey, I think I've got it all together. I don't think I need this God thing. Like, my life's pretty good. 
And that's, that's the other son. He's, he's just as lost. And I love at the end of the story, God's, uh, the father saying to his son, hey, come hang out in the party. You've got to come. Your brother just found home. Come hang out. And he's sitting there going, nah, I'm good, man. I'm good. I've lived a good life. I don't need to come to the party. I don't need to come and celebrate that. I'm, I'm all good. And ultimately, if we live in a place where we think our good works are going to please God and, and get us some sort of status, we're going to be left outside of the party. But God's into bringing us all into the party. God's into bringing us all into the place of relationship. And I love this, this story of the prodigal son because it's, it's not just a story that Jesus told about two fictional, fictional people, but it's a story about humanity. It's a story about us. It's a story that God, that Jesus so wonderfully put because it speaks to every single one of us exactly where we are. If I can just have the keys come up and join me. But the first, the first time we actually see this story outplayed is in the story of creation. And you see, God, he, he creates the world and he creates man and he creates woman not, as we've said, to, to, to have somebody that's going to jump hoops to please him, but he creates us simply for relationship. Simply to have a loving relationship with someone who is just like him. With someone who can reciprocate love back. Not someone that's obli uh, ob obligated, obligated to love. Someone that's robotically loving back. But somebody that that can love just straight back out of their heart. So God creates Adam and Eve. And he creates this perfect world that we now live in today, but it's not so perfect today. And within, within this garden that God creates called Eden, which they're living in, there's this tree there. And I, I like to call it the tree of choice. And why I like to call it the tree of choice? Because it was this tree that determined whether we would love God with everything whether we would accept him and say, hey, we want to do relationship with you, or we would say, hey, we're good. We want to do it on our own. And this tree was the, the tree of instant gratification. Because when Eve looked at the tree, when Adam looked at the tree, the Bible says that, that the fruit on the tree, it looked good to her eyes. It looked desirable to her flesh. And it was able to make her wise. The Hebrew word for wise is that it was able to make her successful. It was able to bring her fulfillment. And so much of what we try to do outside of God's purpose is because it looks good to what we see. Because we believe the lie that it's going to feel good to our flesh. Because we think that there's success out there. And, and God's, God's plan was never to, to say to humanity, hey, I don't want you to have things that look good and I don't want you to live a life with things that feel good. And God's plan wasn't to say, I don't want you to have success. But God's plan was to give us a choice to say, would we take it on our own or would we get all of that through Him? And once we took the, the fruit of that tree, we fell. The theologians like to call it the fall. I like to think that we haven't stopped falling since. And you look at the world today and the things that are happening in our world and the brokenness and the hate and the violence. And you look around and you see that we've just kept falling. We've just kept falling. 
A lot of us have kept making choices, myself too. All of us have kept making choices, saying, God, we're good. I'm going to chase after what looks good, what feels good, and what will bring me success on my own. But God's calling us home to say, hey, I've got things that will look good. I've got things that will feel good, and I've got true success for you. But it's not found in accolades. It's not found in achievements. It's not found in, in trying to obtain as much as you can of this world. It's not, it's not found in getting high and, and getting drunk. I've tried all that personally. It left me broken. It left me wound out, empty. But it's found in a relationship with Jesus himself. And so Jesus comes to the earth a couple thousand years after this walking and talking and and trying to reach our hearts, trying to reach us with this message to just say, hey, come home. And there was a second tree, another tree of choice. It's called, we know it as the cross. This tree, it didn't look good. This tree wasn't gonna feel good. There was nothing in this tree that would look successful. It was a a tree, an instrument of torture and of death. But the Bible says in Romans that the wages of sin is death, which basically means that the consequence for us saying, God, we don't need you, is death. Because we're literally saying to life himself, to the force of life, hey, we're good on our own. And so Jesus comes and, and, and the very death that we deserve, the very brokenness and emptiness that we deserved was all put upon Him at the second tree of choice, at what we call the cross. And I, I sit there and I go, what drove Jesus to do that? It was every one of us. It was knowing that on the other side, of the cross, on the other side of taking our sin, on the other side of taking our shame, on the other side of taking the death that we so deserved was the fact that His kids could come home. Was the fact that His kids, no matter where they're at, no matter what they've done, no matter how they've spent it up, no matter how hard they've lived this life, no matter how good they think they've done it, that everybody could have a seat at the table, that everybody could be invited to the party that every single person now can be welcomed back into the Father's arms. And I love that tonight we've already heard so many times from from people that God has met them exactly where they're at. And tonight I want to give every single person in this place an opportunity to respond to Jesus. When I was 18, I had an opportunity to respond to Jesus And I didn't have it all together. My life didn't look perfect. I was so broken and so hopeless and so empty at that point that I was almost just questioning in my head, what is the point of living if just to live another 50 years of this empty life just to die? And it was at that point when I was 18 that God came knocking on the door of my heart and said, hey, would you let me in? Would you come home? Would you give me everything that you are? And it was in that moment that everything changed for me. It was in that moment that my hopelessness now turned into hope. That my anxieties and my fears now turned into power and strength. 
It was in that moment that my weaknesses now became strong. It was in that moment that the hatred that was in my heart and the unforgiveness that was in my heart turned into love. You know, we look at the world right now and, and what is going on and a lot of us are going, where is the answer? And it's not found in a religion. It's not found in an ideology. It's found in a person and his name is Jesus. Because only he can come into our hearts and change everything. Only his love, his real love, not an idea, not a concept, not a philosophy. It is only his love that can bring life where there is death. It is only his love that can bring hope where there's been hopelessness. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Life. If you have any questions or want to contact someone about this message, visit lifeau.org.